17 game NFL season. It's in effect this year, 2021. There will be 17 games in the main season. Joey, how do you mm-hmm. feel about it? And how does it affect the fantasy landscape more importantly? So, I mean, I feel great. It's another week of football, which is which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. They're going to push the Super Bowl back to President's Day weekend, I think it is. So we'll have that Monday off after the Super Bowl. That's kind of clutch. That's a big dog. Um, yeah. And then another week of DFS, so another week to lose money. Yep. But then again, that's another week to, to put out this content. Mm. Uh, so, so that's kind of a plus, too. And then just in terms of, like, redraft and and best ball and fantasy football in general not too sure how it will affect it especially with these best ball tournaments that we've been doing but in redraft i've seen some chatter some tweets saying that the fantasy championship should be two weeks instead of one i really like that idea kind of decreases the variance of just playing a one week championship so i like that but yeah i'm just i'm just hyped to have another week of football because nfl is by far the best sport it's the best season for fantasy and i I just love it so much so first schedule change uh, in what like 35 years I think. Yeah, some, th- something along there. those lines. Um, I understand, you know, the boomer perspective where they're they're upset about the potential stat changes. It's like yeah, all these players are going to have better stats than, you know, all the old legends or whatever because they're getting an extra game. But the fact of the matter is, you know, the athletes now are in a completely separate tier as it is. So, I mean, these stats are deserved, extra game or not. I mean, yeah, that's a fact. And I mean, some of the old guys' stats, they were already broken when the NFL went from, what, 14 to 16 games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's kind of like records are are meant to be broken, so mm. not too concerned with that. But I have seen some players have some concern over a seventeen game season. But then again, the players voted for it. Not too worried about what the players have to say. They're they're gonna play. But I I do expect coaches to find more rest spots mm. for certain players, which will affect fantasy for sure. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 134 of the DFS Dose Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are lucky enough to be joined by Matt Hicks, a man who is a true expert on all things having to do with this upcoming crop of NFL rookies. In just a few moments, we'll get him here on the show. If you're new, To the podcast, like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. We are everywhere. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, I don't know about you, but I'm ready. I'm ready to get into it. Yeah, I am so ready to get into it because we've been drafting best ball teams uh, over Mm -hmm. the last couple of weeks on our Monday live streams, and we've been drafting rookies. I haven't haven't watched half of the rookies that I've been drafting, so I'm excited to to hear about uh, Matt's takes on all of these rookies, and hopefully that can give us an edge in some upcoming drafts that we're going to be doing. Absolutely. Well, without any further ado, let's welcome to the show a man who is the director of fantasy football for the NFL Draft Bible, a man who is the host 
of the Rookie Big Board podcast, and most interestingly to me, is known on Twitter by his pseudonym, the FF Educator. And man, I'm hoping he lives up to it because Joey, we need Mm -hmm. education. Matt Hicks, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, fellas. Thanks for having me on. I'm uh, excited to talk rookies. Uh, Tis the season. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You can say that again. So like Joey said, we are in these best ball streets, you know, dynasty sometimes, but best ball, there's no off season. You know, these drafts are already rocking and we have to have takes on rookies that don't have landing spots yet. And and that can be Mm -hmm. difficult. So are are you a best ball player, Matt? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've been slowly adjusting to best ball the last couple seasons, but uh, I am, uh, this is the year I'm ready to go all in. I'm already running some, you know, some drafts here in the background. Mm -hmm. I like doing the slow drafts. I like having like six or seven up at one time. I think it's one of the fun parts of playing best ball. So I got to I got that up in the background at, at pretty much all times from here until August. Yep. I am the same way. And uh, let, let's just get into it because there's a lot of names I want to hit on in this episode. And let's start off with the guys who are being drafted the highest in these best ball drafts. You know, it's the two running backs. It's Najee Harris. He's going as the RB20 right now in best ball. Travis Etienne right behind him, RB22. My question to you is, is the hype deserved around these two guys already being drafted, you know, with fringe third fourth round picks in ADP are they going to be able to pay that off in year one yeah I mean I think I think there's definitely potential here specifically with Najee Harris so uh essentially what I've done you know I've done my 2021 season projections overall kind of put those baseline for the entire NFL and I've also created baseline uh, rookie projections right now in Obviously, it's a little bit of forecasting, right? Because we don't know landing spot. But just trying to look at what's realistic, what uh, rookies have done at their positions over the last three seasons. And then looking, of course, at my evaluation process for these rookies coming into things. Najee Harris, for me, I think he has all the makings to be a running back one, top 12 guy this season. Uh, He seems to be a little bit less landing spot dependent, I should say, than a lot of these guys. So for Najee Harris, if he gets the volume I expect him to get, which is over 225 touches, and the big thing about Najee Harris that a lot of folks who aren't as tuned into college aren't going to expect, because he's a big guy, he's 6'2", 230. For me, he's got the best hands in this class. I think he's going to be a dual threat back. So, uh, you know, I have him projected out at 40 receptions, and I think that's a really uh, conservative projection for him uh, coming into this season. So uh, I have Najee Harris projected out as a top 10 running back right now, and and I think it's only going to be a matter of volume. So I, I think he's going to easily return running back 20. I'd be smashing that all day. How do you feel about ETN in comparison? Because he's somebody I've been drafting with, you know, absolute fervor. He's he's one of the five highest owned players through about 50 drafts to this point. Yeah, he's a little bit interesting. And I've noticed, you know, there, there's definitely a little bit of a gap just from what I've experienced in terms of when I have to take Najee Harris or when I could sit back. And, and ETN is definitely, you know, falling a little bit more. Just in my baseline projections right now, I have Travis Etienne as running back 27, uh, which is, you know, a fine spot to be in. I mentioned that I thought Najee Harris wasn't as landing spot dependent. Etienne is really going to either, you know, scoot up in my rankings or he could also fall off a little bit depending on the system he falls in. You know, there's a couple good landing spots. If he lands in Arizona, there's volume there. There's opportunity. That's a high-flying offense. They're going to use him on the ground and in the passing game. He also could end up in somewhere like the Jets, which is going to be a little bit more of a dice roll. You know, volume is going to be there. But 
you know, is the scheme going to really open up and allow him uh, to run in space, which is when he was best in college. So the upside with Travis Etienne is that he's a home run back, right? So I have him projected out with six rushing touchdowns right now, which is the second most in the class behind just Najee Harris, which is definitely going to help that upside approach. But I have him projected out at just over 900 yards on 200 touches. So, you know, he's not necessarily going to be, I think, the most efficient back. But at running back 27, I think that's a really fine value that you're getting on him. So the way that you have these guys broken down, I mean, that's a pretty large tier gap between Harris and, and ETN, right? If you've got Harris, you know, regardless of landing spot, projecting as a top 10 guy versus, you know, ETN as, as a fringe RB2, RB3 type. So the, the gap between these two is wide for you. Yeah, and I think, you know, just to be clear, I think that is is more of an endorsement for Harris than it is a knock on Etienne. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a huge Najee Harris fan. For me, he's the running back one far and away. Like I mentioned, you know, he's an absolute bulldozer in between the tackles. Uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, Derrick Henry-esque dominance in between the tackles. But he is a natural pass catcher. And Alabama at times actually lined him up out wide, had him run, had him run curl routes. This guy is 6'2", 230. It's absolutely incredible. Uh, and, you know, he has some contested catch plays that will rival the best wide receivers in this <laughs> class. Uh, and so it, it's really, um, I, I think it's it's wild to me that we're not pushing that pass catching narrative more for Najee Harris. And it's a huge opportunity point. So I like Travis Etienne. I like some of these other running backs at the value I think they could provide. But I think Harris is just a smash player. That's an endorsement. <laughs> I just want to add on to the Harris thing. He had 43 catches last year at Alabama, forced a league high 22 missed tackles after the catch, and he only dropped one target. So he does have some sneaky passing game upside like Matt is talking about. I mean, that part of his game is not Derrick Henry-esque at all, is it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the way that the ADP is shaking out is it's these two quote-unquote elite guys at the top, and then there's a pretty significant drop to number three, Javante Williams, who appears to be basically in a tier of his own. He's going about 20, 25 picks later than these two guys, but 70 picks higher than the next tier of running backs. Do you view him closer to this elite tier? Is he, you know, really the RB3 in this class? You know, how do you view Javante Williams? I know that he's been a a subject of debate over the past couple of days following his pro day. Yeah, Javante Williams is really interesting to me. Uh, For me, it it is Harris and Etienne are are in their own class, and they really, they always have been. If, If you look at their tape evaluations, I understand why folks get excited about Javante Williams, but I have never been anywhere near as excited as consensus. And so for me, you know, it really is Harris and, and Etienne. And then after that, you know, whether you like Javante Williams, whether you like Kenneth Gainwell, I like JVN Hawkins a lot as well, who's kind of an mm. under the radar uh, guy right now. Uh, you're taking home run swings. You're, you're stepping up to the plate and, and you're taking a swing because they don't have anywhere near the type of floor. It's not the running back class that we've, you know, had the pleasure of working with from last year, right? It doesn't have the same level of depth. So, um, there really is a teardrop there for me. And with Javante Williams, you know, speaking specifically to his pro day, if you flip on his tape, man, you see a four five, a four six guy. Uh, I, I never expected him to, to run fast. That's not the way he wins. 
Um, so for if you're looking for a projection, like for me, the best case scenario for Javante Williams is kind of like a Josh Jacobs situation. You know, he smashes in between the tackles. I think he's going to be volume dependent, but he can produce, right? If he if he's in the right spot and they feed him the rock and he gets some red zone touches, he can definitely produce. But I think it's, you know, a guy who three years down the road, we're going to kind of be writing off at the end of his first contract in a very similar way. It seems like we're doing with Josh Jacobs now. If you're looking at Javante in the mid range, um, would you would you think you're more likely to take safer assets with maybe a lower floor just because of the uncertainty about, you know, what he ends up doing? in his first year in the NFL? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, you know, drafting before the draft is always a little bit tricky. And, you know, I'm kind of looking at my projections and, and where I have Javante Williams around. You know, I have Kenyon Drake at 30 and, uh, you know, running back 30 right now. And I have Javante Williams running back 32. And then you got a guy like, um, you know, uh, a guy like Latavius Murray at running back 37. And he just like always hangs around, right? He's like so annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, you know, it, looking at those guys, um, you know, I actually, I'm a little bit higher on Kenyon Drake still, I think, you know, Las Vegas is talking about using him as, as kind of a wide receiver, but um, you know, I, I might be a little bit more interested in taking a guy that I, I've seen out there a little bit. I think it might take Javante Williams a little bit to adjust to the NFL, uh, one of my biggest knocks on Williams is that I don't think he has great vision. I think it's really inconsistent. Like if you flip on his tape and, and really watch it, you'll see him run into the back of his offensive lineman for the same amount of times as he breaks off those big runs that are fun to watch on the highlights. So that's that's scary. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have good vision, it, it could be a really slow adjustment to the NFL. So yeah, I probably would. I, I would trust one of these veteran guys a little bit more, especially somebody like Murray who... You know, if Kamara goes down, I mean, you know, obviously we don't ever want to root for that, but you know, if Kamara goes down, he becomes a workhorse back. So I probably would lean a little bit more towards that. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think embracing fragility in best ball is one of the best ways to gain an edge on the field, especially if we're talking about these tournaments with top heavy prizes, you know, at the top, it doesn't matter if your guy busts, you should be playing for first or last, right? So, you know, the mm-hmm. upside is what matters and and guys like Pollard, guys like Latavius who have that upside if the guy in front goes down i'm fully targeting these guys but that's kind of the question right because you're you're taking pollard you're taking latavius murray and a whole bunch of these other guys in the same range as the next tier of rookie running backs you know kenneth gainwell hubbard carter uh sermon is another name that's in there you know are any of these guys your guys are you bullish on any of this sort of third tier of running backs in this upcoming class i'll say i'm intrigued right now with kenneth gainwell i just drafted him uh in one league earlier today I believe it was like round eight, I think. He was my fourth running back off the board, like for my team personally. So I love that spot. You know, you kind of get, it's a, it's definitely a, a little bit of a risky move. But Kenneth Gainwell, uh, he has high upside potential. I think he could catch the ball well. I actually have him projected out as running back 29. So I just said Javante Williams mm. was 32. Now, we're going to have to see what happens on draft day. Because I think Kenny Gainwell has, has worked himself up into being a day two back. So if he can get into a more explosive offense, you know, we talked about Arizona earlier. Well, what if they fade on running back early? They don't get Etienne. They come back and get Gainwell. You know, that's fun. That's a really exciting situation to be in. And, and, you know, so I think Gainwell has the opportunity uh, to have that home run upside, uh, just being a little bit more explosive of a player. Now, he's a little risky. So, uh, you know, if I was fading running backs early, I wouldn't bank on Kenneth Gainwell in those mid-rounds. But, you know, if you kind of double-tap running back early off the start and you just want some home run upside a little bit later, I think that's a really good play right now. And 
Hopefully that holds past the draft, but you know, it's a, you're rolling the dice with rookies at this point in time anyway, so you might as well roll the dice. Do you have any names uh, of some rookie running backs that, you know, we potentially have never even heard of? Somebody that we, we need to be adding to our, our rankings and targeting in these later rounds of the best ball drafts? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, rookie running backs, you know, I was, I was when I was doing all my baseline projections, like the big question was, how many guys can I realistically project out for success this year, right? Because... Guys, mm-hmm. I, I watch over 100 guys. It's ridiculous. Like, nobody should spend as much time watching all this rookie <laughs> tape and ranking these guys. It's it's stupid. I understand it, but it's fun. So, you know, I have to be realistic about it. And so I ended up projecting out nine guys, um, you know, on, on top of who we've talked about, Javian Hawkins, uh, Chuba Hubbard, Michael Carter, Jamar Jefferson, Trey Sermon. But anybody past Javante Williams at 32 – uh, you know, I, I have Hawkins at 38. That's probably ambitious because he might drop off in in, uh, in value. A lot of people like Chuba Hubbard. I have met 110 uh, or, you know, 110 fantasy points. That's not significant. That's running back 53. Uh, you know, in, in sermons below that, Jamar Jefferson, Michael Carter. So honestly, you know, you're going to you're going to look and, and see. Hopefully these guys are backing guys up or maybe they land in a high volume offense. But it, it, there, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get too invested past the top heavy. It's not the year to to search for running back depth. All right. I mean, that that's an interesting take. You know, the the inception of how this podcast came about was actually my good friend Joey here getting roasted mercilessly by our chat on stream <laughs> for for drafting Hubbard, calling it the worst pick in round ten, <laughs> the worst pick in the draft. I, like, what are you doing? I'm you know not what? even. I'm not even gonna lie. I had no idea who he was. I never watched an ounce of tape on Hubbard a day in my life, and I just picked him in what the twelfth round they were pressed like they did not <laughs> like that pick at all and i and i was wondering like why is it a bad pick and now i'm understanding why yeah i mean i mean hubbard's fun like he's a home run explosive he's a track star like he's literally a track star he could have gone pro uh you know kind of olympic athlete track star but another guy his vision is bad uh you know he doesn't you you could tell he's a track star he wants to run in a straight line he never wants to run outside the tackles and he's too small to run in between the tackles so it, it kind of worked for some fun plays in, in Oklahoma State. You're running in, in some wide open gaps here uh, playing in the Big 12. But I think his adjustment to the NFL is going to be slow. Like the upside is there. It, he could be a, a huge home run hit. But I think chances are he's, he's probably going to be, you know, a pop fly if we're going to run with that analogy. All right. Well, let's get into some of these other positions. I feel like that just about covers running back from here. Before we get into wide receiver and quarterback. Let's talk about Kyle Pitts because the hype is unreal. It seems like it's a lock that this man is going to go in the top 10 picks of the NFL draft. How bullish are you on his ability to be what he's hyped up to be and to produce right off the bat? Because sometimes these tight ends, even the elite prospects struggle in that transition to the NFL. It's a really interesting, a really interesting case study here with Kyle Pitts. And I'm going to throw out a quick disclaimer and it freaks some people out, but I got to tell you, you know, Kyle Pitts, he's he's going to be on 32 NFL boards, right? You know, maybe let's say he's on 30 boards. There's always a couple teams. Nobody's on every board uh, when it comes to draft night. I would bet that Kyle Pitts is on three to five NFL boards as a wide receiver. Now, is he going to get drafted as a tight end? Yes, probably, right? There's a really good chance when his name gets called, he's declared as a tight end. But I'm telling you, there is a possibility that he actually gets drafted as a wide receiver, which would just blow up in the face of folks drafting him as a tight end and hoping for that hit right now. But like I said, most likely he's going to be a tight end. I have him projected out right now as tight end 12 in his first season. 
And that's not knocking Kyle Pitts. <laughs> you know, I think he could be a really good player. I think he can make a quick impact in the league. Uh, you know, Ivan projected out at 49 receptions. That is more than any tight end, any rookie tight end has put up over the last three years. I don't like to, to make my sample size too much longer than three or four years, uh, just because the NFL is consistently changing. So at 49 receptions, again, that's like the highest number in, in recent history. You know, that puts him about 700 receiving yards. So it's going to come down to touchdowns. And I have him at five touchdowns. I think that's reasonable. I think that's fair. That's tight end 12. It's so difficult for these tight ends to quickly adjust to the NFL. Um, you know, especially Kyle Pitts, who who is kind of in this hybrid role. He's not asked to block a ton at Florida. And if he is in the NFL, it's going to be a slow transition. So, you know, take him over a guy like Tyler Higby. Take him over a guy like Jonu Smith or even Evan Ingram, who I think is going to have a little bit of a rough season there in New York. Uh, but I wouldn't take... Uh, Kyle Pitts over a guy like Noah Fant or even Logan Thomas. Mm. I mean, yeah, that's definitely interesting to me. I have watched some Kyle Pitts tape, and he's just an athletic monster, right? He's six six, runs a four four forty. Honestly, I think when he comes into the NFL, he's a top five, top six tight end in terms of raw talent. Yeah. Now it will be hard for him to produce in his rookie year, I think. But as it stands right now, he's getting drafted in the ninth and tenth round in best ball. And I feel like come August and come September, I think he will be like a seventh round pick. So personally, I'm taking advantage of Kyle Pitts's ADP right now on uh, drafters and underdog for their best ball tournaments. I, I think his upside is top three, honestly. Uh, maybe I'm too high on him. Maybe, you know, he does hit that rookie wall, but I think this guy is just an absolute freak. I don't know. I'm all aboard the Kyle Pitts train for, for 2021, but I think landing spot will matter a lot and whether or not he gets to play with a good quarterback and a good coach that will scheme up play specifically for him. Matt, let me ask you this question. If Kyle Pitts were coming out as a wide receiver, where would he be ranked amongst your wide receiver rankings? Yeah, so obviously we'd have to tweak a little bit just for you know likely usage, but if you took his, his raw number right now, uh, his raw projection, and you sl- and you slid it over to wide receivers. We'd be looking at he's just about the same as T.Y. Hilton, Denzel Mims, James Washington. Though that's kind of who he would be around. So less exciting, right? Uh, not <laughs> not not the end of the world, right? I mean, these are guys we're we're gonna need on on our rosters, but not guys that you probably want to take in the in the seventh through yeah. tenth rounds, right? So and again, it. 10% chance, 5% chance, right? But I like to point out for folks, it, there's definitely going to be NFL teams that, that have them as a wide receiver. You you never really know what's happening in the war rooms, but, uh, you know, it, it would definitely be less appealing. I, I definitely agree with that. But instead of Kyle Pitts, is there any other tight ends that we should be looking to draft in fantasy football over the next couple of months? I mean, all the talk is about Kyle Pitts. I haven't heard any talk about any other tight ends that are coming out in the draft. So Yeah, so, you know, from the NFL landscape, there's the big three, which is uh, obviously Kyle Pitts. And then you kind of have Brevin Jordan out of Miami and Pat Frermuth out of Penn State. I, I like both of them. You know, if you're playing your dynasty fantasy football leagues, they're both guys that I would draft in, you know, your sec, your mid to late second round, and, and you kind of stash them, and you're going to have to wait for tight ends, right? So I wouldn't draft either one of these guys expecting 2021 production, um, you know, outside of, of needing those depth guys, and, and if post-draft they land, you know, in a favorable spot. But Brevin Jordan right now is my tight end 26. 
Uh, you know, he's sitting there uh, behind a guy like Mo Ali Cox, who I think, you know, has some sneaky upside this year. And, and then, you know, Pat Fairmuth is all the way down there at, at 32. So he's really a non-factor. And, you know, it's not knocking those guys. It's just you look at the last few seasons, you look at rookies, the the, the immediate production just is not there. And although these guys are talented, they're not so talented that I can project some kind of outlier experience. That's fair. I guess we should move on to wide receiver then. And just the other day you posted on Twitter something that really stood out to both of us, and it was your wide receiver rankings. I think it was top 15, I want to say. And you had Devontae Smith ranked at four behind Terrace Marshall. Now, if you look in these best ball drafts, Marshall's going, I mean, God, almost 100 picks later than Smith. Smith is a guy who I know, you know, the body type is a concern for some, but to see him, you know, being drafted in the top 10 rounds and then see a guy like Marshall, who you're obviously high on as, you know, a fringe 16th, 17th round pick, it seems like this might be a player that we need to really skyrocket uh, onto our radars. Yeah, and you know, just for just for uh, you know clarity here, it's it's more of an endorsement for Terrace Marshall than it is you know knocking Devonta Smith. I like Devonta Smith. It's a really weird place to be this year because <laughs> it seems like you either have to love Devonta Smith or hate Devonta Smith. But I like him. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really well-rounded prospect. I think he has great hands. He, he's you know certainly has great route running ability. Separates really well. Great Great release off the line of scrimmage. However, I also recognize that for him to be successful, he does have to perform as an outlier. And I'm not saying he can't, you know, playing at a buck seventy. Uh, but I'm saying, you know, it, it's more difficult to bet on those outliers. Now, when it comes to Terrace Marshall specifically, I love Terrace Marshall. I, I've really been trying to drive his train, you know, hype train here over the last, you know, few months. It seems like folks have kind of forgotten about him. He has great route running ability. He has really sticky hands. I love his hands. He wins downfield. He separates really well in the deep third of the field, and he's he has really good long speed moving downfield in a straight line or fluidity there uh, moving across the field with his with his route running ability. So for me, Terrace Marshall is the guy that if you specifically look at him in a fantasy football context, he's going to score touchdowns. And that's, I think, where his fantasy football uh, production is going to come from. He's quiet right now. There's not a lot of folks hype on him, but from what I'm hearing from the NFL side of things and from what I personally I think he's a first-round wide receiver. That's my projection on him. What I'm hearing from the NFL is a high round two guy. And I think that if you want to target Terrace Marshall, you have to do it before the draft because post-draft, he's going to get the kind of bump that T. Higgins kind of got, you know, just mm. over into the second round. And all of a sudden, now folks are paying attention. Uh, you know, even a guy like Michael Pittman got a little bit of a bump there. Or Brandon Ayuk at the end of the first round. You know, nobody expected him to go first round. He got that bump last year, so you're going to want to take advantage of that now because I think his ADP is going to skyrocket. Uh, I have met wide receiver 30 right now in my projections, and I have Devonta Smith at 33 for this season specifically. So they're not mm-hmm. terribly far off, but you just mentioned the value is is, is an incredible gap there. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that draft capital matches what I'm seeing with Terrace Marshall, and I could create a, a really great value. I'll be drafting him every opportunity I have here from now until his name gets called. So my question, I guess, following up on that is where is the tier break in this group? Is is Jamar Chase in a tier of his own? You know, are him and Waddle a 1A, 1B type? You know, what's the drop off between these guys and Marshall and Smith and so on and so forth? You know, who are are the surefire top wide receivers in this class? That's a really good question. You know, it's so interesting projecting out immediate production from the wide receiver position 
It's something I think we have been a little bit cautious to do maybe two years ago, but it seems like now NFL teams are more willing to, to throw their top picks, you know, volume into the fire. We saw that with Justin Jefferson. We saw that with CeeDee Lamb. And for me, Jamar Chase, in terms of immediate production, is going to be in his own tier. I am right now as wide receiver 14. So he's sandwiched in between, uh, for my 2021 projections, he's sandwiched in between Robert Woods and Mike Evans. So he's sitting, you know, in, in pretty good territory there. You know, I've been projected with 78 receptions, and, and that's on 115 targets, which is actually a little bit of a conservative. He has my highest target uh, share, and, and there was definitely some rookies last year. I think CeeDee Lamb was exactly at 115, and I know Justin Jefferson went above that number. Uh, and I have him at seven touchdowns, which, you know, I, I think obviously touchdowns you have to you know forecast a little bit but I feel pretty confident there with seven I think that's reasonable you know obviously we saw guys smash that number even a guy like CeeDee Lamb I think hit six last year and he wasn't even really a touchdown guy so I feel good with Jamar Chase at 14 and then that it's a pretty large tier break there and you get Jalen Waddle for me at 29 Terrace Marshall at 30 Devontae Smith at 33 and then you're going to see another pretty large tier gap before you get to Tylen Wallace, who is 49. I mean, if Chase is, you know, a potential high-end wide receiver too, this is a guy that we should be just smashing what we can on the value. I mean, he's going as the wide receiver 33 on drafters, uh, similar on underdog. That seems like a, a smash vi- value, honestly. And another guy who I'm sure is going to skyrocket if he ends up going, you know, I haven't pegged Miami at six if, if Miami stays in that spot. Uh, you know, he goes, he goes at six, people are going to get really excited, right? Because how often do wide receivers go in, in the top 10? So anything pre-draft, I think it just helps, uh, for folks who just, you know, not everyone is, is as tuned into the draft. So taking advantage of these rookies now, and again, you're gambling, all of these guys can miss. There's no such thing as a surefire prospect, but that's, that's what we're doing here anyways, right? I mean, you know, we're not playing best ball really for the safe approach. You know, sixth place yeah. doesn't matter in, in uh, best ball. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely have the opportunity. If that's the ADP gap, that's that's pretty significant for me. Yeah, that sounds like it's a player we should definitely be targeting. You know, traditionally, I've been, I've been playing best ball for a good five years at this point. And fading rookie wide receivers over these last five years has been very profitable, to be honest with you, until last year. Not not so much with, you know, Jefferson and Ayuk and all these guys coming out and having historic levels of production, you know, the most historic class since 2014. So yeah. outside of the top and obvious studs, you know, these guys that we've already mentioned, who are the guys in this class that you think have, you know, the ability to really jump tiers if they land in the right spot? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll point out here, you know, with my best ball teams last year, I got Justin Jefferson almost everywhere, but I didn't do it before the draft. I like Justin Jefferson. He was like my wide receiver four or five going into the draft. But once he landed in Minnesota and I plugged him into my, you know, full, full NFL wide projections, I, I was shocked that people weren't taking advantage of it. So for some of these guys that we haven't mentioned yet, I, I think the key really is wait to see where they land and look for volume. That's really what holds mm-hmm. back wide receivers early on is that coaches oftentimes aren't willing to like force the volume to young wide receivers. It's just kind of a trend in the NFL. But uh, Minnesota had no choice, even though they faded Justin Jefferson for the first, what, two, two and a half weeks, if you remember that. Um, then they force-fed him the ball the rest of the season. So some of the guys I'd be looking at, I like Tylen Wallace a lot out of Oklahoma State. And he's somebody who might really fall. He's a little undersized. He's 5'11", 188. 
and he's going to be in an interesting spot. He played on the outside at Oklahoma State. He really was an X-type guy. He's really physical. He does well at the contested catch, but like I said, he's 5'11", so they're going to push him inside most likely to play in the slot in the NFL, and I think he's going to be the perfect mismatch. He's going to be too physical for your nickel corner, and I think he's going to be a lot, he's going to be much too quick there for your linebacker to line up on him. So I could see a real mismatch. The limitation is going to be the touchdowns because he's going to be playing primarily in the slot, but I think he could be a high volume guy. Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Maryland, he's, or Western Maryland, Western Michigan, I should say, he's a guy who is on almost nobody's radar uh, right now. And I have him pegged out as a day two pick. I think he's going to get good draft capital. He's really explosive. Uh, he rips some really nice slants. He'd take him to the house really consistently for Western Michigan. He could play on the outside. He could play on the inside. I've been kind of comping his game to Will Fuller a little bit in terms of his explosive ability. He's a little bit shorter than Will Fuller, uh, but I think he has that high upside touchdown potential that we're looking for. And so for me, if he lands in a spot that not only could give him some volume, but also really could have that, you know, there's there's this um, there's this gap in touchdown uh, pr- production there. That that would be really exciting for me. And then the other name I'll throw out there is Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. Another guy, a little undersized, but I think he's going to get eaten up or he's going to get drafted probably, you know, high second round uh, of the NFL draft. And we're just going to start eating up his shares in fantasy football because he's explosive. He's fun. He's quick. He has great hands. He's very athletic. And he's probably going to be more of, of a volume type guy working, you know, over the middle of the field, but that, you know, there's a place for that as well. So he probably doesn't have as high of a ceiling as maybe some of the other guys that I mentioned, but if he lands in a spot where volume is seriously present, then he's probably going to be soaking that up. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at drafters right now. I don't even think Dwayne Eskridge is in the player pool, to be honest with you. <laughs> he's, he's, I can't, not, I can't find he's not one. on anybody's radar. You know, he's from a small school, Western Michigan, but I, you know, I kind of had him pegged out as a day two guy, top 100 pick before that. He went to the Senior Bowl, and it seems like the NFL is all on board with him now. So, you know, almost nobody's talking about him. But, you know, I'd be willing to put down a, a good chunk of money that he's he's a top 100 pick. So, you know, round two, round three type guy. And, you know, that, that perks up people's ears. See, right there, that's why they call you the educator. You're educating <laughs> us so well right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. All right, Joey, let, let's get into what you wanted to talk about, quarterbacks. Because yeah. this is going to be a quarterback heavy first round by all accounts you know every mock that i've seen recently has at least five quarterbacks going in the first round hell like the, the first 15 picks essentially so we've seen a lot of movement i guess with these guys all having their pro days the past couple of days and with the big 49ers trade i guess we'll start there because the 49ers made the big move they traded up to number three they were obviously capping hard body on social media saying it wasn't about a quarterback it's about a quarterback like you're not giving up three first round picks for anything but a quarterback. Do you think that this Mac Jones hype is real? Is it possible that they pass on guys like Fields and go all out for Mac Jones with number three? Listen, the NFL is a wild place, man. Uh, After Daniel Jones went at six and then last year, Jordan Love somehow made it in the first round. I told myself to stop writing off ridiculous quarterback scenarios, but I would be shocked. I mean, Justin Fields, I saw a really great tweet today that basically said, you know, even putting Justin Fields' name in the same sentence as, as Mac Jones in terms of his talent ability is insulting to Justin Fields. I mean, he he's a really fantastic, Justin Fields, that is, is a really fantastic prospect with some serious upside, not only in terms of his arm, but also his mobility. 
And when it comes to fantasy football, man, being a statue in the pocket, it is so, so difficult for you to be fantasy football relevant now as a quarterback and as a statue. And Mac Jones can't move, man. I mean, that, that he couldn't juke out like a statue. I'm t- <laughs> like, it's, it's so bad. And Justin Fields, not only is he a mobile athlete, he throws really, really well on the run, but he reads uh, like RPOs, he he reads uh, run action plays, uh, and he can actually run designed plays really well, uh, which is not something that every mobile quarterback can do. So he's a really dynamic dual threat guy. Uh, so could San Francisco move up to take Mac Jones at three? Uh, sure, uh, I would be <laughs> I would be really disappointed uh, in that front office for doing that. But hey, I've been saying all along if, if the if the cards can line up and Justin Fields could fall to Carolina and land in Joe Brady's offense, like that is the dream. You know, at that point, Justin Fields may be quarterback one for me over Trevor Lawrence, which is a wild thing to say, but uh, it would have to be the perfect, it would have to be Carolina because Joe Brady would just be so perfect for him uh, and, and, you know, the weapons that he would get in Carolina. I mean, between Robbie Anderson, who I do like a lot, and DJ Moore, it, it would be a really fun situation. Joey, I know you're feeling that. You're a, you're a big Justin Fields guy. Yeah, I like Justin Fields a lot. Um, I think he gets a lot of unfair hate on Twitter, especially with the whole not being able to read a defense uh, slander. But I think he's a great prospect. And like Matt mentioned, the quarterbacks that are relevant now in fantasy are able to run the football and Justin Fields, I mean, he showed today. He ran a 4-4 at his pro day. He averaged eight rushing attempts and 55 rushing yards per game at Ohio State. So this is a guy that will have serious upside on the ground as well as through the air if he does end up in a system like the 49ers with Kittle and Samuel and Ayuk, or if he does end up falling to Carolina and he goes and plays with DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, CMC. I mean, I'm just so high on him. I think his upside is crazy. And just for reference, I drafted him in the 17th round yesterday in a, in right. a drafter's best ball draft. I love that. I think it was around quarterback 30 or quarterback 28, somewhere around there, where which I drafted him at yesterday. I think he smashes that if he's a day one starter. And personally, I'm expecting the Niners to take him at three. And I think if they do take him, I think he's their starter for the whole season over Jimmy Garoppolo. So mm-hmm. that, that makes some sense. Matt, do you think that this Zach Wilson to New York is uh, like a done deal? I hope so, man. Uh, because I, I, uh, Zach Wilson for me is my quarterback four in this class. And I would love for him to fall on the New York Jets grenade, right? Just let, let's, <laughs> let's wipe out Zach Wilson, right? And, and let's just let him go to the Jets and like, let's let Justin Fields thrive and let's let Trey Lance, uh, land in a fun spot and let's just move on with our lives. <laughs> that's i mean that kind of hurts my soul as a huge denzel mims fan but i i respect it too i respect it as well so what's the what's the tier gap for you between you know these these guys lawrence obviously clear-cut number one amazing prospect and then you've got fields and then what lance it's fun for me trevor lawrence is the one rookie that i can put him into the projections and I put him, you know, in the Jacksonville offense. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I figured there was no point in wasting time. So he's the one I could feel the most comfortable with because I, I have a landing spot for him. And he is my quarterback 11 for this season. Uh, you know, I, I think he can come in, immediately contribute. I think he's pro ready. Uh, you know, and in terms of just the 2021 season, he sandwiched in between Tom Brady and Ryan Tannehill in my projection. So that's a pretty good spot, I think, to enter the league in. 
I have Justin Fields right now at a baseline projection, and it's always a little bit tricky with quarterbacks before landing spot because, and we'd referenced this earlier, but, you know, it's games played, right? And so if Mm -hmm. Justin Fields plays 16 games, I have him uh, pitted as quarterback 13 right now. I really feel like he can come in and immediately contribute. Uh, So if you're getting him at quarterback 28 or 31, I mean, I think it's just an absolute steal right now. And again, he's got to play 16 games to hit that projection. But I I think he's pro-ready. I think he has the ability to come in and do that. Uh, And then after Justin Fields, that's where you hit a huge gap for me. Um, I have Zach Wilson at 31, and I have Trey Lance at 35. And only because for Trey Lance, I have him currently projected at 12 games. I do think he's somebody who's not going to play right away. And so I want to be a little bit conservative. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually plays in less than eight games this season. So from a best ball perspective, although I love Trey Lance, I'm going to grab him on every dynasty team I can. I don't know if it's going to be this season for Trey Lance, um, but if he does play 16 games, then he's right up there uh, in a similar range as Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So what I'm hearing right now, I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but is it is it possible that Justin Fields has the highest ceiling from a fantasy perspective just because of what he's able to do, you know, as a rusher from this class, even potentially a higher ceiling than Trevor Lawrence? Maybe not so much real life NFL readiness, but just strictly fantasy in the same vein that we saw Lamar Jackson dominate in the same vein that we saw Jalen Hurts come in and dominate in fantasy last year. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I want to point out that Trevor Lawrence is a good runner as well, and he's he's more athletic than you would expect a guy who's 6'5 to be. So he does come with that, uh, a little bit of that rushing upside. And then, you know, a sneaky rushing upside is for some of these tall quarterbacks, and it sounds kind of funny, but, you know, they could just fall forward at the goal line, right? <laughs> and they get the QB sneak touchdown, which is how Tom Brady ends up with three freaking rushing touchdowns every year uh, because he's mastered the QB sneak at the goal line. So, I, you know, I wouldn't rule out Trevor Lawrence's rushing upside. In, in Justin Fields, um, you know, I think of Lamar Jackson, I think of Jalen Hurts, I think they're a little bit more of pure runners. You know, they're, they're a lot more fluid with their running. Uh, Justin Fields is a little bit stiffer of a runner, and I don't want to take away from his athleticism. Um, but, you know, he, he's not going to improvise as much. He's, he's much more of a designed runner. And when, even when he's, he's scrambling out, like, you know, rolling out in a boot, and there's the ability for him to go and get six, seven yards, he looks to pass first. And he usually will look downfield and, and, and throw the ball before he chooses to run. So... I, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily compare his rushing ability to that of Lamar Jackson and uh, Jalen Hurts. But, you know, uh, think of the way that, you know, Dak Prescott, Dak gets uh, six rushing touchdowns every single year. It makes them relevant, right? And, and I think that's, you know, what Justin Fields can bring to the table. I think he's going to be a really good passer first because I think he has really great passing. And he also has the ability to really improve. You know, he has really, really good foundation of his mechanics, which is what I want to look for in a quarterback. You know, you could improve everything about a quarterback. If their mechanics suck, then they're not going to be a good quarterback. And if they haven't nailed their mechanics by the time they get to the NFL, they're probably not going to nail those mechanics. Justin Fields has really, really strong mechanics, which gives him the foundation to take advantage of his upside of his big arm and his rushing ability. So 
If you're talking ceiling, you know, I think Fields has that same ceiling that Trevor Lawrence has. Not the same level of floor, which, you know, makes him QB2 in this class as opposed to QB1 for me. But uh, there's there's certainly a lot to get excited about. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything that you said. But just one question. Do you think there's any chance that Urban Meyer throws a curveball and drafts Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence? Oh, man. I <laughs> That would be insane, I think. Listen, I mean, <laughs> Urban Urban Meyer is is unpredictable, uh, <laughs> and so you never quite know what you're getting with him. And, and if you follow college football, you know he has been known to throw some curveballs. Uh, but I will point out that it, that's a fun narrative. But Urban Meyer never actually overlapped with Justin Fields, uh, despite the Ohio State connection. So uh, that's okay. that's my uh, wet blanket that I'm throwing on that one. <laughs> I mean. Honestly, Matt, you've said it all and you've done it all. Javion Hawkins, Terrence Marshall, Tylen Wallace, Dwayne Estr like these are names that weren't even on my radar and now they are. And I've got to thank you and and thank you on behalf of the listeners for coming in and bringing this knowledge. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love talking rookies. I do it 365 days a year. So this this time of the year, it's uh it's especially fun. Yeah, absolutely. And and we need it. Before you get out of here, do you want to plug uh, anything? You know, your Patreon, you know, your podcast, where can the people find you after they listen to this and they just want more information? Yeah, a lot of projects going on as you could imagine this time of the year, but uh, you know, the Patreon is probably the best source. If you're just looking to get more information on rookies, um, you know, that's uh, patreon.com slash the FF educator uh, for $3 a month. I do uh, 169 rookies ranked as well as my dynasty rankings, which is 200 players, Devi rankings, which is 200 players of the college guys. So you can kind of get ahead of the game on these rookies for next season. And then I also have a tier above that where I have right now available all my rookie projections uh, that I've been talking through. You could see those more in depth. Those are available as well as my entire 2021 season projections. And hopefully if you're playing best ball, you're working off of some projections and not just pulling out of thin air. Uh, so that's all available. Patreon.com slash the FF educator. And then, you know, rookie big board is on YouTube. Uh, it's also an uh, audio form a podcast. Uh, and so, you know, I kind of uh, that's a specific podcast where I like to take folks inside my process of evaluating rookies specifically for fantasy football. Uh, so I'd also point folks in that direction. Matt, I, I love everything you're saying. Opportunity over talent. You're talking about projections. You know, this is a DFS show primarily. I, I love the yeah. vibe. <laughs> yeah, guys, this is fun. This is a fun yeah, time. Man. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we, we, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime in the future. Man. That was a lot of information. Yeah, a lot of information. But I'm glad we had him on. I learned a lot. Learned of some new players to target in our best ball drafts. So shout out to Matt for hopping on and talking about some rookies with us. I mean, I know we didn't talk a lot in this podcast, but that's what happens when you don't really know any of the rookies. So <laughs> I'm glad that he hopped on. I'm glad that we were able to learn a couple things about these rookies yeah. coming in. Man, I mean, FF Educator, I'll give it to him. He he deserves that name because I feel, I feel educated. I learned about Javion Hawkins, you know, Terrace Marshall being potentially one of the best pre-draft NFL values in best ball, uh, Dwayne Eskridge. I'm going to be sending out uh, some texts to my to my connections in the best ball industry, making sure they get this man in the player pool. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? I need some Dwayne Eskridge on my teams. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not even in the player pool. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's absolutely crazy, man. But I, I think that's going to be it for episode one. 134 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter 
at the DFS dose. I am at Ben Hover. Joey is at Joey Carrion DFS. And you can find Matt at the FF Educator. Subscribe to us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We will be back next week on Thursday, April 8th with episode 135. Check out our live streams every Monday on the YouTube channel. If you're listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.